Well, I wonder how you would complete the sentence. Okay, you are what you. How do you finish that sentence? Some people say you are what you eat. So uh, bad news if you have lots of junk food. You're a walking big man, uh, walking massive processed meat and greasy cheese or whatever it is. Uh, some people might say you are what you wear. Okay, it's just your clothing tells, tells us what we need to know about you. Uh, that gives us the information we need to know what kind of person you are. Uh, some people might say you are what you own. So the things that you have, the stuff you've got at home, your possessions, they help us to determine your place in life and where we relate to you. Uh, there are all kinds of ways in which we try and find our identity or find other people's identity. But one way we might answer, uh, one way we might complete that sentence is to say you are what you pray. Okay, think about that one, you are what you pray. How you pray, for whom you pray, why you pray tells us an awful lot about you. Uh, whether you pray tells us a lot about you. Uh, one great Christian from uh, years gone past was Robert Murray McShane, and he once said this. What a man is, alone on his knees before God, that's he is, What a man is, alone on his knees before God, that he is, no more. In other words, you and God, on your own, actually tells us really who you are. Who you are in secret with God is who you really are. Well, as Andrew said, we've been thinking about prayer over the past few weeks, and I hope you've seen that prayer is defined by two gods. Okay, what prayer is is defined by the kind of God we pray to. Uh, what we know of him, that he's the sovereign Lord, that he's our loving Father. That God determines the things we always want to pray for. We will want to pray with his priorities in mind. And I want us to see this morning that that God determines how we pray as well, the manner in which we pray, what our attitude is. So we're thinking this morning about how we should pray. Why do we want this to be a kind of how-to kind of style talk? It's not going to be based on a how-to-pray kind of book. Uh, we're going to be thinking about what the scriptures say, chiefly, and there are a few practical tips I've got the things I've, I've learned over the years and I've looked for other people who have me. So how should we pray? Well, we'll look at some biblical concerns first. But let me just say, again by way of introduction, that it's at this point that we see just how different Christianity is to other religions. Okay, our prayer is not putting up a prayer for just a wave in the wind. Our prayer is not just going over a mantra again and again. Our prayer is not just reciting key slogans. So our prayer is related to God personally, and we can know Him, just as we can know one another. And that determines how is the prayer, things that prayer should excite us, and it's a chance for us to relate with our God. And if there are any here this morning who aren't Christian, well, I think you see, but actually, you're missing out if you're not praying, and you're missing out if you don't know God in this kind of prayer. Well, how should we pray? And you'll see there from the sheets a few pointers from the Bible. You can open your Bible back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. And if someone can get out of the page, I'm not sure if you can do it. 
Lord Jesus says we should pray humbly. And we should be humble as we pray. And in Matthew 6, Jesus contrasts the way Christians should pray with the way hypocrites, hypocrites pray. So look at what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. Okay, he says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. Okay, so the hypocrite's focus is being seen by others. Now, these are people who love to pray because they love to be seen. It's all about their reputation. Uh, for them, it's more important to be seen as prayerful than it is to be prayerful. And so they love the street corners, because if you pray in the street corner, you get your job if you want. You've got four streets for the people looking at That's a lot of people to impress. A lot of people to see how holy and pious you are. Jesus says we're not to be like them. They're not disciples, they're pretenders. They're actors. And I guess it's a challenge for us, isn't it? If you're ever praying in public, maybe in church, maybe in giving thanks at a meal, maybe if you're with Christian friends and you're not to spend a few moments praying together, maybe in a cell group, we pray for one another. Well, it's a good question to ask what is my motivation for praying? Of others. Because if our motivation is to try and impress others, or to try and look spiritual, then Jesus is the hypocrites. And we can very carefully indeed. As such people, Jesus says, have already received their reward. Verse 5. They've been seen. And they've got what they wanted. People came to Well done. Now instead, Jesus says, our motivation is to be fine. Motivation is to be the fact that God is our Father. So Jesus says, verse 6, When you pray, go into a room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus is not saying we should never pray in public. But Jesus says the measure of our prayer is what goes on in secret. The measure of our prayer life is how we pray for our people. The measure of our prayer life is how we pray in So we're to pray humbly. Uh, not seeking attention, not seeking praise from men. Seeking only to please our Father. The kingdom of Jesus. Well, we're to pray humbly. In the same passage, Jesus says we're to pray simply. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. Jesus moves on from our motivation to the way we pray, to our manner. And again, he has a negative example, and a positive encouragement. The negative, this time, we're not to be like the pagans. So, verse uh, 7, Jesus says, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they can barely be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. So, Jesus says, pagan prayer, like the prayer of people who don't really know God, is marked by babbling. Just going on and on and on and on, many, many words. Lots and lots of words. Now Jesus says we're not to babble in the way that we pray. Because that's suggesting that God is someone who's impressed by many words. As if God's impressed by our, our eloquence. Or as if God can be kind of manipulated by many words. 
made Jesus says Christian parents to be different to them. He says, don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so therefore, if you remember who God is, if you remember that God knows what you need before you even ask him, then our prayers will be simple. Okay, you don't have to sort of spend hours filling in God, uh, filling God in on all the kind of situations that are going for. Now our prayers will be straightforward and simple. Yes. 
will make a difference. We'll turn back a page to James chapter 4. Our prayers make a difference and our lack of prayers also make a difference. I've also saw a couple of weeks ago. James 4 verse 2, he says, uh, you want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Our prayers make a difference and also our not praying makes a difference. But we don't have because we do not ask God. God is a God who loves to give us good things in response to our prayers. We pray for expectation. Confident that God will answer our prayers and the best way to do Well, moving on to our fourth uh, point. We're to pray obediently. We're to pray obediently. Keep your hand in our prayer chapter 4. As you'll see from uh, the next verse, in verse 3, James says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James says, God loves to give us good things, but if we ask with the wrong motives, uh, if we ask wanting to disobey God for the resources that he gives us, then we shouldn't expect an answer to our prayers. And we're to be obedient. We're to be obedient in our attitude to God. Now turn back to James chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's start with verse 5. James chapter 1 and verse 5. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a wonderful promise. If any ever lacks wisdom over a situation in life, pray to God for wisdom. God loves to give us uh, wisdom when we ask him. We look at verse 6, he says, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all he does. So when we ask God, we must ask for the right attitude. Now James says we mustn't doubt. Now by doubt, I don't think James means we mustn't be people who've got questions about the Christian faith. I think all of us, even the most mature Christian, will have questions about the Christian faith. Now by doubt, James means people who don't trust God. They're still in two minds as to whether they want to go God's way. Uh, he calls them double-minded in verse 8. Uh, where I come from, he calls them two-faced. People who are pretending to want to go God's way, but actually they're looking for better off or elsewhere. Well, James says, if you pray with that kind of attitude, not really wanting to go God's way, then we can't expect to receive anything from God. We must ask in the right attitude. And the second thing you'll see there is our attitude to sin affects our prayers. Psalm 66, verse 18 and 19 says this. Uh, the psalmist writes, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And he's not saying we have to be sinless before we can pray. Otherwise, none of us could pray. But again, it's another, another symptom of being double-minded. If, on one hand, we're praying to God, and on the other hand, we're not interested in living God's ways, and so we treasure sin above God, and then again, God won't listen to us. The psalmist is just. 
ability to live in those homes, and that's what our staff wants. And they will be a consistent disability. Now our prayer life and our holiness are related. And we must be praying for the sinners. People who are trying to stop them. People who come to you for the numbers. They are struggling and have them to do so. And our relationship with others as well will affect the way that we pray. Mark 11 verse 25 says this, Jesus is speaking, he says, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive him. When you're standing to pray, if you hold anything against anyone, then sort that out. If you're praying to God, then make sure you're living rightly with other people. There's a big situation that's blown up between you and someone else. If you're struggling to forgive someone, if you've been wronged by them, and maybe a military and bitterness and resentment, well, Jesus says, stop your parents and forgive that person. Be reconciled to them. That your Father in heaven might forgive you. It's a reminder that our, our Christian life is integrated. That the way we relate to God is affected by the way we relate to other people. It's all one thing. What we do in one area of our life will affect those other areas. Uh, in 1 Peter 3, Peter says that husbands are to be considerate to their wives, so to treat their wives with respect. And he finishes that command by saying, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Again, if we're living in ongoing, willful disobedience to God, it will hinder our prayer life. It will hinder our prayer life. It's a prayer of evil. And let me just say again, God doesn't wait for us to be perfect if we need to our prayers. But we must be living rightly, and being those who are struggling to live in a godly way. And we're to pray a Our next point, and we're nearing the end, we're to pray persistently. And Timothy were to Luke chapter 18, the parable that we have read to us earlier. Uh, Luke chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow. And we're to pray something for this. 7.14 Luke chapter 18 verses 1 to 8 uh, Jesus tells us this uh, remarkable parable about this widow who's uh, trying to get the attention of this judge and this judge is a real rat bag and he just ignores this lady so she keeps coming again and again day after day, banging on his door trying to get his attention and eventually he gives in he just can't take it anymore she's worn him down and he relents, and he says, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Okay, she just wears him down, and eventually, she, uh, eventually the judge gives him, and gives her the justice that she's been asking for. Now, at the beginning of that parable, we're told this, Jesus told this parable to show his disciples that they should always pray, and not give up. So Jesus is trying to teach us to be persistent in the way that we pray. And he does it by giving us a negative example. Because God is not like the judge. God is not like the judge. He doesn't care about justice. God loves us. He's concerned for us. We matter to him. So even if that nasty judge will be it, well, how much more will God give us good things? He's not like the unjust judge. And we're not like the widow. Now we come to God as his children on praying terms with him. 
and so there's a key bonfire at the source in our prayers. Um, Epaphras is mentioned by Paul in Colossians 4 uh, as someone who we're told is always wrestling in prayer for his Christian friends in Colossians. He is always wrestling in prayer. God wants us to be persistent in the way that we pray. Now I've got a family that lives just around the corner from me back in Oxford and I quite often go around there and uh, look around with the kids. They've got four small energetic children and uh, sometimes it's fun just to go around and uh, play games with the kids. And quite often we'll, we'll play a game which ends up with us getting into a tussle over who has the ball. So it's one of those games where everyone's trying to get the ball and there's about seven people clapped to it. Now as the adults, I'm much stronger than the kids, so I could just rip the ball out of their hands and win the game, but that wouldn't be much fun for them, it wouldn't be much fun for me. I want them to have the ball, but I don't just want to give it to them. And so I, I keep holding it, and I offer just enough resistance to make the kids pull with all of their strength before I let them have it. And I think that's a picture sometimes of how God answers our prayers. God wants us to be persistent in prayer. He wants us to keep praying, to wrestle with him in prayer, just like Jacob wrestled with God. And so I think sometimes God wants us to really want the thing that we're asking for. Our vision is to be persistent in the way that we're asking for. Now, we're not to babble, there's a difference between being persistent and babbling. It's not to do with the length of our prayers, it's to do with the strength of it. Uh, the strength of which we ask God. And finally, we're to pray regularly. Paul says in Romans 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Our prayerfulness should mark us out, it should characterize us. Uh, it should be our reflex that we're people who pray. We're to be consistent, faithful, and regular in our prayers. I don't know if any of you used to do this. When I was a, a little boy, I wasn't very nice. And uh, one of the things I used to do, I know that's an amazing thing, you'd never believe that I wasn't very nice person. One of the things I used to do as a child is I'd go around to someone else's house, I'd ring on their doorbell or knock on their door, and then I'd run away. And so they'd sort of eventually come. There's one boy at school I really didn't like, he did things. So I used to go around to his house, knock on the door and run off. Uh, sometimes I did it very late at night, so it wasn't very nice at all. But if I'm honest, sometimes my prayer life is a bit like that as well. It's as if I kind of come before God and just drop on the door and then run off. It's all kind of hit and run and I'm done. And that's not the kind of prayer life God wants us to have. He doesn't want us to be superficial and fleeting in our prayers. He wants us to be consistent, regular. And not just to be on the surface, but to pray in detail, to pray and wrestle well, those are some biblical concerns for us as we pray. But let me just end by giving some practical tips, which I've certainly found helpful and I've learned from many other people over the years. And you'll see them on the sheet. These things are, are not from the Bible, so take them or leave them, but if they're going to be useful, then take them. Firstly, plan, plan to pray. Uh, if you're not, if you will not drift into a good prayer. It's not just going to happen to you. So plan to pray. If you're not in the habit of praying, then get into the habit. And experience tells me it's much easier to improve a habit than to start one. 
So start small, but get into the regular habit of the plan. And the next thing that you can do is make the same for five of Plan to pray. Second thing is to use prompts. Okay, so sometimes I'll put a verse up on my shaving mirror. Something I'm going to see very often and it reminds me to pray. Or I'll put a few prayer points up on the uh, Put reminders up somewhere that you will be reminded to pray for things. Uh, for a while I took the same route into work. I used to go to a walking surface and it would take about half an hour to minutes. And I used to think of landmarks on the way as reminders to pray for certain things. So when I passed that particular building, that was a reminder to me that I needed to pray for my family or to pray for a particular friend. So use anything you can to remind yourself to pray. Uh, there's a game that uh, a number of us play, and I've, uh, I've just lost it. But um, ask, ask, the, uh, ask the Evers, ask Chris about this game. Uh, because Chris uses this game to remind him to give thanks to God. Uh, I'm going to start the next time. Every time I lose the game, to give thanks to God. And I'm thankful for the chance to speak on prayer. So use prompts, use reminders, anything you can that will prompt you to pray, will remind you to pray. Uh, use other people. Sometimes it's, it's easier, sometimes in life, it's just easier to pray with somebody else. Or maybe find a close Christian friend with whom you can be open and honest, someone you know well, and form a prayer partnership. I've up with a very good friend back home, and uh, I think for about nine years now, we've been praying for each other once a week. We live in different cities now, but we always find each other up there once a week and find out what we can be praying for each other. If we're ever meeting up, we will always pray together. And I found it to be a great Or find a little group. Uh, maybe two or three or four of you could get into the habit maybe once a week or once a month. Uh, just meeting up and praying for each other. And then many Christians who find out a very useful Learn from others. There are some wonderful, wiser, older Christians who really know how to pray. And they really know the Lord. They know Him well. And it's wonderful to learn from them how these little people pray. Use lists. If there are certain people or things that you want to pray for, they're going to need to come down. So that things to hold in your head sometimes. So I hope you're praying for church. I hope you're praying for school. I hope you're praying for Andrew and the leadership. I hope you're praying for your family, your kids, or for your parents. I hope you're praying for your work situation. I hope you're praying that you work well. Praying for good relationships with your boss and your colleagues. I hope you're praying for your non-Christian friends, for opportunities to share with them. Well, all of those things, maybe you want to pray for some of them each day, some of them once a week, some of them once a month. But write them down on the list so that you are praying for those things taken uh, there are a couple of other things that help us to structure our prayer. Um, think of the word stop. Okay, you can use the word stop when you're praying. Stop is sorry, thank you, others, please. So when you're praying, you might like to structure your time around those four letters. Spend a bit of time saying sorry to God. Confessing sin before God. Sorry, thank you. Praising God. Giving him thanks for things. Others, praying for other people. Please praying for yourself. Uh, pray in Scripture, as we read in the Bible, as we're learning things from the Bible, turn those truths into prayer. I think the spirituality of the Bible is one where our Bible reading and our prayer is intertwined. So as you're, as you're learning from the Scriptures, turn it into prayer. Uh, but the final thing is to keep praying. Just to keep praying. We're finding it very, very hard to pray, or 
Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the gift and privilege of prayer. And we pray that you would help us to be people who pray with the right attitude, uh, people whose prayer life reflects the kind of God you are. So help us, Father, over the, uh, the days of this week to go through these passages uh, again, maybe in a, a quieter situation, and to think about how you want us to pray. And that maybe be people of prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.